Hello everyone, welcome back to the Consensus Podcast. Um, we're now on episode two of the Back to Basics um, series. And basically we decided to do this series to educate and equip our listeners on political machinery and how they can get involved, you know, in politics. Um, on this episode, we're going to be talking about the executive function, um, which is the government. I'm Jen and with me today are... I'm Koyan and I'm a Conservative supporter. And I'm Mel and I'm a Liberal Democrat member. And I'm, and as I said, I'm Jen and I'm a Labour member. Um, please follow us on our social media handles. Twitter is at the underscore consensus underscore. Instagram, the underscore consensus underscore. We're also available on Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud and Acast. Um, as, this is a, as this is a special series... Please um, use the hashtag consensus podcast B2B if you want to engage in any conversations. So ladies, how does it feel to be back? It feels good. It feels good. It feels weird, you know, but I know. nice. It's nice to see you all again. I know. It's been forever. And it's only been a few weeks. It feels like so long since I last saw everyone, but it's no, really it was December. It's December. We're in February. No, now. before December, wasn't it? Or was no, it the beginning of December? End of December. No. It was that like mid December. Just oh, you guys ha- um, yeah. had an episode together. Yeah, we had um, oh, a yeah. general election. Oh, yeah. We and then Quinn, I saw you at work. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, as I said, we're going to be speaking about the executive function. Last week, they spoke about the um, legislative um, function, which is parliament. And basically, the executive is the government, and uh, gov- the government is a group of people responsible for running the country. Um, currently, the gov- the makeup of government is they have an eighty seat majority. We just had a general election um, in December, and yeah, the Tories are the governing party. So, Queen, how do you feel about that? Um, I think it's. There's not as much stress, like even on our day-to-day jobs, there's not as much stress in the sense that, you know, um, you're worried that something's not going to pass or that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's just a good feeling to, you know, not be constantly worrying about not having a majority or something like not being able to go through. So, Queen, what does the government do? So, the government is responsible for deciding how the country is run and for managing um, the day-to-day business. Um, so, there are also, you know, departments within the government as well. So, they can control things such as, you know, your taxes, um, what to spend public money on, um, your public services, how to keep us safe, Um So you have different ministers within those departments. Um, You then also have um, cabinet ministers and you have junior ministers as well. So every Thursday um, in the House of Commons, the leader of the House of Commons um, is responsible for planning like what the government is going to do for that week. So that's called like the government business. So it also announces the schedule for the following week just to also let like MPs know what's going on in the house um, so that if they want to speak or ask a question, they can, you know, prepare themselves for that. And it gives them the opportunity to kind of scrutinise the government in that way. Um, 
And then when you have the government as well, so when you ask a question, that's um, an oral question that you can have most of the time. Um, So a lot of the time MPs will use that to um, ask a question about something that's relevant to their constituency or a topic that they're kind of like passionate about. And in most cases, they would either have a response from the Secretary of the State of the Department or they would have um, a minister or a junior minister answer that question for them. Cool. So... um you mentioned the cabinet and you mentioned ministers. Yeah. Um, Mel, do you want to <clears throat> just kind of give everyone a bit of like um, a brief background of what what the cabinet is and what ministers are and like the different levels of ministers? So Queen you mentioned mm. um, the cabinet ministers and she also mentioned junior ministers. Could you yeah. just... So at the most senior level, um, the prime minister is in charge of the cabinet. So he's in charge of all the ministers and with his advisors and others, he'll decide to allocate um, different MPs from his party to roles that he thinks either they'll be good at or that they'll um, be good at keeping sort of party discipline or maintaining that kind of political relationship to get things done. Mm -hmm. Um, So for instance, the highest rank of uh, minister is the secretary of state they're they're basically kind of um kind of like the chief exec of their department Mm. um so for example dominic raab is the foreign secretary so he is in charge of basically setting the strategic direction for our foreign affairs um and they comes with lots of responsibilities and under him um because he can't do everything he's got his ministers of state so for example um I can't remember any now, you know, but I used to remember that Alistair Burt was, mm-hmm. I think, um, a former MP. He stood down at the last election, but he was a minister for um, the Middle East, okay. I think. So, um, for instance, as Cohen was talking about um, questions, we also have urgent questions and ministerial mm-hmm. statements. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, or, um, if a question came up about the Middle East, Alistair Burt would stand mm-hmm. and respond because he's like the subject matter expert mm-hmm. in, out, of, out of their team. And this goes across all of the departments. So transport, digital culture, media and sport, yeah. business. They all have secretaries of state and a handful of ministers to help them with the day to day. But you also have departments that you might not be familiar with, like the cabinet office, for instance, mm-hmm. who kind of have a more strategic role in sort of setting out how... Um, the government can achieve its aims. It also has like the minister for the constitution and things like that. So kind of the more structural framework-y type roles. Mm. It's quite complex, you know, because there's actually a lot of people. Um, it's not just like ministers. So there's so much more than just like, you know, the secretary of state or like the junior ministers. Like it's actually, when you want, once you do a lot of reading about it, it's there's a lot of layers to it. Because, yeah. you know, there's also like private secretaries, there's of the course. permanent secretaries, mm. um, which are separate to like, you know, the PPSs and the yeah. undersecretaries. So yeah. there's so many layers to it that makes it really confusing. Yeah. But if you go on gov.uk, everything is explained on that website. Honestly, it's like your best friend. Like you can find out information about everything. Like it even explains like what the government is, what parliament is, you know, all of this that we're discussing now. Mm, Just go on that website and it'll literally tell you everything. And it'll tell you about all the departments as well. Like stuff that they're doing, um, everything that they're doing as well, it tells you on that page. So we spoke about ministers. Just want to kind of go back to the, the cabinet. Um, so obviously the cabinet is made up of the most senior members of government, which are the Secretary of State. And it also includes um, the leader of the House of Commons and also ministers without portfolio. Mm. Um, I know one minister, um, James Cleverly, is um, 
a minister without portfolio, but mm. does he have like a role in the Conservative Party? Yeah, so um, when the Conservatives have a minister without portfolio, it's basically um, a senior politician who has a role um, and is able to sit within cabinet meetings and usually it's the party chairman so because he's the party chairman he sits in cabinet with that role um before brexit day happened his role was actually to um uh take meetings um to prepare brexit it was brexit preparedness so he was preparing for brexit now that brexit day has happened i'm not sure if that is something that he's still gonna because I know when um, Brexit Day happened, Steve Barclay, so mm. the Brexit sec, he resigned straight away. So I'm not sure what James's role will be in the future. Um, I think there's going to be a reshuffle in the next couple of weeks. So it'll be okay. interesting to see um, what role he will have. Um, but yeah, so if you're a minister without portfolio, usually it's the party chairman because Brendan... Wow. Lewis. Lewis. God, his last name just <laughs> went from my head because he was so many years ago. But yeah, he was also, he also had that position as a minister without portfolio and he was party chairman. So yeah. yeah. So I'm just going to say, um, you said Steve Barkley resigned. Yeah, yeah. Is it because obviously Brexit has happened? So there's no, there's not been any work yeah. for him to do. Well, that whole department, well, I think when Boris became um, prime minister, he kind of wanted that department anyway to go so i don't think that department i think the department is not going to be there anymore it's going to go back to the individual departments all that work um that's a lot of work though yeah Mm. but yeah so yeah they should have been preparing for it beforehand but he sees it as a waste having a brexit department um Mm. if that makes sense so yeah okay okay Mm. interesting so um a few of our followers were um asking how um the prime minister um is elected yeah. and stuff like that obviously we don't have the say for some reason there are many people um uh, many people in the electorate who believe that the um prime minister is actually um voted for directly but that's mm. not our system we don't have yeah. a pres- presidential style system yeah so um obviously we wanted to kind of like talk about our, our different parties and yeah. how the leader um, is elected. So currently in the Labour Party, we're going through a leadership election. Mm. Um, and basically what happens is there's three steps. So the first step is um, a candidate needs um, 22 nominations from the PLP. So the PLP is the Parliamentary Labour Party. So that's basically all the MPs who form up the parliamentary um, who form up the parliamentary party of the um, of Labour, and um, you need twenty two nominations or more to go to the next stage. Then the next stage is you need um, at least 33, 33 CLP nominations. So CLP are constituency Labour Party. So that's like. Um, constituencies is like your little the little groupings of um people within um within the country so there's 650 um clps and or if they don't get the 33 um clp nominations they need at least three of labor's affiliates um to back them Mm -hmm. to nominate them so that's things like the trade unions and like socialist societies i know socialist societies are things like bame labor um Jewish labor movement right. etc and um then once they've done that they then get onto the ballot and then when they get onto the ballot that's when it goes to the membership and then we have um 
one one member one vote system. So basically, the, I think the period is from it closes all the nominations stuff closes on February the fourteenth. So I think from mm-hmm. like maybe like March. Mm-hmm. I'm not too sure. From like March, then it the, all the like mem- the ballots will go out to people, yeah. and then they'll vote, and then the announcement will happen in April about who the leader exactly. and the deputy leader will be so yeah right now it's really it's really tense in the labor party yeah. you know you what do you feel want... about the process though because that's quite a... the process is really really long honestly yeah. i think it's just long and it's a it's, it it's like a, waste a lot of, time. of unnatural yeah. hurdles and it just seems to like politicize the yeah exactly. the process a lot more than it needs to be exactly i just feel like if people nominate themselves it should just go to the membership mm. they have all the hustings that they do now mm. and then people vote all this stuff having to get the nominations from you know your fellow colleagues the MP, the fellow MPs, then the CLPs, and then the thing is, sometimes I I find it um, unfair because some CLPs, the MPs are influencing the CLPs vote mm-hmm. because the CLPs are you know talking in favor of the people that they nominated. So usually, um, if you if you have a good if MPs have a good relationship with their constituency party the constituency party will do whatever they want, basically. So I just feel like it makes it unfair for um, other candidates um, when MPs get involved. And then obviously you have the membership side of it, which is the only side I think is legitimate. Well, it's not that like, it's not legitimate, but it's the only side I think is the best way to do it. This really? Three, yeah, just... Just the membership? Yeah, everybody... Listen... MPs are membership. You're in your yeah, CLP. Yeah, we're all everyone's a member. Enough, we're all paid enough, members. Yeah. The trade unions and all the like um, supporters and affiliates that um, have um, joined and stuff, they should be able to vote as well. I just feel like this three stage process is really long. So, yeah. So, Mel, mm. how does? The Lib Dems. Yeah, so for those process. of our listeners who don't know, the Liberal Democrats are also having... Oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> See, even our, okay, and oh, our sorry. podcast what? members. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're also having a leadership election. Um, ours hasn't quite kicked off yet. So mm. at the moment, we still have our interim leader, um, Sir Ed Davey. Um, I understand that with Labour because your deputy leader stood down at the last election, Tom Watson. Jeremy Corbyn, is, that's why he's continuing his role during the leadership oh. election. I guess I don't know if that's the reason but yeah well he's still he's still there because yeah. if he stepped down then who would be the next person I'm sure mm. they could they, they could find somebody but yeah I, I get what you're saying so it's kind of interesting that you're having like both of them at one time yeah which are, yeah. yeah but anyway so back to the Lib Dems um, so at the moment as you may know we we returned 11 MPs at the last election and we our leader our then leader Joe Swinson she lost her seat um, by a very narrow margin um, so Edward Ed Davey is leading the party at the moment, being our previous deputy leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but the membership, the leadership election will kick off shortly. Um, the timetable has been decided. So on the 11th of May, nominations will open. And by the 15th of July, we'll know who our next leader will be. Mm-hmm. Um, the process is is a bit less long than, mm-hmm. than the Labour Party, but they still have a, a relatively high um, hurdle to, okay. to, to or threshold to reach. Um so every MP needs to be nominated by at least 10% of the parliamentary party, um, which basically in this instance means one other. Screaming. <laughs> so they so that basically divides them down. The, there's there's rumors that about five of them might stand. So I think they're gonna do it in a very collegiate way where everyone gets nominated to have, you know, to participate. Because that's yeah. that's the Lib Dems for you. Mm. Um after that, they need to be. They need to have signatories from 200 members across 20 
or at least 20 um, different local parties to prove that they have support from like the breadth of the membership mm. to um, go. But they don't actually need the actual sort of constituency parties as a whole to unite mm. behind them. They just need mm. um, the number of signatures. And then after that... Wait, hold on, sorry, 200? Yeah, 200. That's a lot, exactly. 200 people to sign across 20. Yeah. It's not... If you think of it like 10 from 20 constituencies, it can't, but... Yeah, Yeah, but all all the mechanics behind that is going to be so... That's so time-consuming, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not So how do they collate that? Is it that they individually go to... It can be. They can reach out or they'll have people who've got in touch with them to say, I can get the signatures for you. Um, So it's kind of like that. And a good place to always do it is that we have our spring conference coming up in in May, no, March. So although Mm. that's like quite a bit before nominations open, they have enough time then to kind of um, get get people to pencil their names in at least. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once they've reached that... Um, on the 28th of May, we'll know who's been successful. And um, then it goes to one member, one vote. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Shaka has now joined us. Hello. So, yeah. Hey. Hey. <laughs> um, so do you want to tell us about the Green Party and how their, um, how your leader is elected as well? Yeah, sure. Um, so I just thought I'd start by saying that um, just a little bit of the history of the Green Party. Um, we only actually started to have leaders in 2008. So um, what did you have before? So we had basically spokespeople. So you had oh. kind of chosen spokespeople. But it, the idea is that it was a um, an equal party or would you say a, like a flat horizon- hierarchy? Yeah, a horizontal okay. uh, hierarchy, exactly. So it's a, you know, sort of taking out all of that... Um, you know, yeah, hierarchical stuff. Um, But then in 2008, it was decided that they would have a leader, which was then Caroline Lucas was the first official leader of the Green Party. Um, And then generally, each leader can only stand for two years. So um, Mm. automatically, um, you're up for uh, re-election or not um, in two years. So, you know, leaders may choose to stand or they stand down, etc. But Either way, in every two years, there's a leadership election. And um, how that works is um, all that's required to stand as a leader is 20 signatures from membership. So, um, yeah, that's that's it. You just got to get 20 signatures um, and then uh, and then your your name can be on the ballot. And then it's um, and then it's one. Yeah. One member, one vote. Um, So. All the members are entitled to vote and you have a choice to vote on whoever's obviously on the ballot paper. And then we've got uh, our RON or um, re- uh, reopen nominations. Essentially, that is essentially saying none of the above. Um, oh. So you can ha- you always have that option to say, actually, I don't even want who's here. We should reopen the nominations oh. and reopen them. Yeah. Open them up again. Um, so for us, this is usually done over the summer. Okay. Um, over the period of June and then hopefully by generally by August and by this at least by the um, autumn conference you know that who the leader who the leader is and that's announced Um, yeah and then we also have in terms of obviously gender balance is really really important in the Green Party so that's why um, you know we have job shares as well so either there's two leaders and one deputy or one leader and two deputies um, so there's always a job share in one of those roles and one of those roles will always be filled by at least one woman. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Your process is so simple, you know. It is pretty. 
nice and straightforward. Yeah. Doesn't make it less political, though. Of course. They're probably all political, to be honest. So, do you know how they decide whether or not to do a job share for the leadership role? Is that something that just happened organically in discussions between candidates? Or do they run on a joint? Ticket. Yeah, they run on a joint ticket. Ah, cool. Yeah, so the two candidates will get together automatically and decide to to run on a joint ticket. Oh, yeah, and mm, that's really interesting. interesting. Yeah. So last but not least, Koyan, what about the Conservatives? How is um, the leader okay, elected? So it's a bit similar to uh, Labour. So each candidate needs the support of eight MPs. So you need someone to propose it, then you need a seconder, and then you need six um, further MPs. Um, I think it actually used to be two before, but now they've changed it. So you need eight. Um, And then um, once you've got that, um, you have a series of votes to kind of whittle down the numbers. So in the first round, um, you need uh, more than 16 MPs. And then on the second, you need more than 32. And then after that, um, whoever's at the bottom um, is eliminated until you get down to two. So there can be like, imagine there can be like five stages Mm. or something if there's a lot of people who um, manage to um, meet the criteria. So then when it gets to the final two, then um, it goes to the membership. Um, and then they decide who's going to be the leader. So it's quite a long process as well. Mm. Um, you also, with the Conservative Party, have the 1922 committee, which is quite influential in deciding the leader of the party. So basically, the 1922 committee is um, a committee of backbenchers. It's mainly for backbenchers, so they can just discuss any concerns that they have, um, constituency matters or issues. Um, but when it comes to, you know, election time and trying to, you know, get rid of a leader, um, they're really influential in that um, aspect because um, all they need is um, 48 letters being sent to the chairman, who is um, Graham Brady at the moment. Um, and once you get the, um, once you get, once he gets 48 um, letters, then that triggers a leadership contest as well. So they're also in charge of when the election happens um, for the leader, you know, the ballots and the timing of the um of the separate bat- um, ballots as well. So they're really influential when it comes to deciding the leadership. Um, Theresa May had some issues there as well um, during her time. Can I ask you a question about the process, yeah. like your opinion on it? Do you, do you think that having most of the MPs, like like conservative politicians, sort of shaping who's going to get down to the final two, do you think that's a positive or, or would you prefer? I mean, it's quite like the others i think it's quite political as well because you have some people saying um issue um things such as if you step down then you know i'll back you or i'll get all my people to back you or i'll give you a position in cabinet so it's a bit more of like what can i do for you in that kind of sense mm. as well so it makes it really political instead of it just being kind of organic and allowing people who want to stand the opportunity to stand as well so yeah mm. it's a bit funny as yeah. well not sure how I feel. What it looks like is that there's no real perfect sort of the, exactly, <laughs> and it's a long process yeah. as well. It, se- it seems to me just as just listening to like all the processes, it seems the the closer you are to power, the more hurdles there are to so, yeah. reach the leadership. <laughs> mm. I think yeah. that's a fair point. Yeah. That's a fair point. Because I was gonna say also the. Um, 
Why is it gone up in my head now? Because I was going to say the recent election that they had um, of the speaker. Yes, the speaker is also such a long-winded process as well. And they just need to update it and modernize it. Because even when you are on the ballot, you know, um, they then have to go and reprint it, then come back while all the MPs are still in the chamber. So it's just... I remember that. It's not effective. so long. And it was effective. And the thing is, we're talking about, you know, the environment and stuff, but yet we're using so much paper for... Yeah. Think you know for a process that could be modernized. Yeah, you know. So that um, is yeah, I remember one of our newer be. MPs was confused. They're like, why aren't all the why isn't it all just not on the same piece of paper? Yeah. You just write in the yeah. candidate's name. Yeah, like, <laughs> like but yeah. So but no, Shaka, what you said got me thinking, and I think that's a good point because it's also so reflective of the nature of our parties, which is kind of an obvious statement. Mm. But I guess with especially um, Labour and the Tories being the two most, like the two main parties. Mm. Labour, I guess, their politics are more sort of beholden to their membership and their affiliates. So they make sure they have a voice mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the process. And with the Tories, I guess, as we've seen with Theresa May's premiership, the government is so dependent on the support of their yeah. backbenches that yeah. it's kind of essential that yeah. they have the MPs involved in so many steps of the process. Yeah, mm. Mm. that's so true. So... Um, yeah, as we said, um, it's not the electorate that actually votes for the prime minister. It's the um, the parties who actually nominate and elect the leaders. And then when it go, when we do have a general election, the party with the most seats make up the governing party in that and whoever the leader of that party is becomes the prime minister. That's why it's called a prime minister. It's the mm. minister. Who's the leader of that? Yeah, the party, basically. Yeah. First among equals. The first among equals. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, just touching up on political parties, I've, can we kind of, like, discuss it? Um, can we give, like, a one or two-liner of why we all think it's important for people to join a political party? Do you want me to go first? Should I go first? Give me the example. <laughs> go ahead. Okay, go so on. I think it's important for people to join a political party because... Um, when you join a political party, you can basically elect your own representative um, in terms of there's a number of people who will stand to become your MP, your councillor, and you get to pick them. Whereas when you're um, an MP, when you're an electorate and the candidates are already chosen, you basically have to pick either the Labour candidate or the Tory candidate. Whereas when you're a member, you can pick the different candidates in the Labour Party. So I think... Um, that's a reason why I would say it's important. I think it's important for people to join if you really, really, really passionate um, about politics and about the people that represent you. Being a part of a party will help you to um, engage in that process one, and to you be able to pick people who um, you like or who you agree with or who resonate with you, or you can even stand yourself. So that is one re- that's my reason for why I think people should join a political party. What about you guys? Who wants to go next? I mean, to be fair, that's for me also, that's like probably the main reason that I would ever say to someone you should join a political party because mm. obviously you have a dis- um you have a decision in who will be the leader and effectively um the le- uh, the leader of the party. Um but I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a member of a party as of yet. Um, oh, so yeah, I just don't. It's a bit more than just that as well, because there's so many, there's so much politics in becoming a member of a yeah, party as well agree, that yeah, it can be so frustrating. Yeah. So I need to get to a point where deciding the leader outweighs the politics of joining a party. Yeah, would you ever switch to Labour? No. 
And sometimes, like, because you can understand also, like, not just, I'm not just talking, like, um, about myself and stuff, but some people, their ideologies are resonating with a specific party, but they don't like, like, the machinery of yeah, that party, yeah. if that makes mm-hmm. sense, or, like, the leader or something. So their so their fundamentals, say, for example, are conservative or socialist or something, uh, but they don't really resonate with the Labour Party or the Conservative mm. Party or the Lib Dem mm. Party or like the Green Party, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. that can be difficult for yes. people wanting to join um, a party as well. I think that's true. Like one yeah. thing I didn't realise when I joined the Liberal Democrats was just how extensive the machinery is. Yeah. Um, I mean, I joined, I'm, I'm going to be going to be true. I was unemployed for a while <clears throat> and I knew that I wanted to work in politics. And I thought one way to do that would be to join a political party and get some work experience because it's easier to do that. If you're a member, um, mm. and along with being a member, like when you when you join a member of most parties, I'm sure you get like a welcome pack come through yeah. the door, and you've got your little badge, mm-hmm. and you've got your little welcome note from the leader of the party or the chairperson of the party yeah. or whatever. Um, and it does, it is like a strange community. So I think I stayed being a member of the Lib Dems because I got to meet really interesting people, mm. um, people who I never normally would have spoken with, like someone who founded a sort of a an alcoholic spirit company or mm. someone mm. who's a counsellor, which I never met a counsellor before, which is a lot about where I, the counsellors where I grew up, but I never met one until I joined the Lib Dems and got to know them mm. and, you know, realised that they are literally just very normal people like the rest of us who just took that step to, yeah. to go into um, local government. Okay. Um, mm. yeah. um, just um, before um, Shaka speaks on, says her little one-liner, two-liner, um, just bear this question in mind. I'm going to ask you guys why um, you you either support or you're a member of the parties that you are instead of Labour, yeah? So after Shaka says hers, then we're going to go into that. Because I think it's important for people to have that discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw during the general election times how um, a, um, a lot of Black and Asian and minority ethnic um, women and men were um, attacked for supporting other parties than Labour. Um, obviously, we did our little um, article thing um, for, on Vice where we spoke about, you know, why it's important to get involved in politics. But I want you guys to kind of like say why you decided to join um, your parties or why you're a supporter of your party. Yeah. So Shaka, do your like... So yeah, like, like why Why I think it's important to be part of the membership. I think obviously what everyone has said so far mm-hmm. is that you obviously have a more of a chance to shape the actual party, yeah. to have a to be involved in the processes within the party. Um, in Green Party particularly, you get a chance to vote on policy. So you get a chance to actually mm-hmm. shape policy um, that then, you know, goes into manifesto, etc. Um and but then I also can relate to what Koyan said about actually, you know, the tribalism that's involved in being a party member and being loyal to that, regardless of whether you're necessarily happy with the party political processes that are happening internally in a party. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's that's the sort of other side of it. Um, yeah, so there's a freedom with not being a member, mm-hmm. but then there's a you know the responsibility being a member. Yeah. Um, so then coming to your question about why I'm a member of the Green Party, um, and not Labour. I used to be a Labour voter, um, mm. and then I've always said this: the Iraq War happened, mm. and I vowed that I would never vote Labour again. Um, and I think that in terms of like my principles, in terms of being an environmentalist, um, really like. <laughs> 
you know, very much alternative in my lifestyle in many mm. ways um, that I don't see reflected in mainstream politics or mainstream policies. And Green Party is the only party that entertains those policies unapologetically um, in terms of animal rights, um, social, you know, social justice rights um, that are considered quite radical, I think, on mainstream political platforms um but to me just common sense mm. and obviously green party seems to be able to hold a political space that's able to put those ideas forward um and they're ideas that i'm really passionate about and that's why for me definitely would always be green now over labor even though actually labor under corbyn have obviously moved very much closer aligned to the green party mm. um and yeah, I mean, I you know, I have sympathies with a Corb you know, with, with Corbyn and Corbyn's government and Corbyn or government, let's say, um Corbyn's opposition. Yeah, in terms of yeah, his his part his part, the Labour Party under him. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, in terms of holding space for real forward thinking radical policy, um, that's why I, I belong to the Greens. And I actually believe most Labour Party people are closely, more closely aligned to Greens. I agree. But because of, obviously, in terms of the, the, the likelihood of being elected and, and mm -hmm. our closeness mm -hmm. towards power, to power is why they, often yeah. Uh, yeah, people choose Labour. I agree. What about you, Mel? Why are you a Lib Dem member as opposed to a Labour member? Um... Well, you know, a lot. Of, we all grew up under sort of Blair and Brown. So for, I guess, like, Labour defines so much of our youth mm -hmm. in that way. Mm -hmm. And I was always very, like, I was kind of obsessed with Tony Blair's governments. That's why I got first interested in politics. Mm. And although I admired a lot of what they did with, like, you know, the minimum mm. wage, et cetera, I just, I just never really quite felt at home voting mm. with the idea of voting for them. Like, I, I, to be fair, with all the main parties, there are elements of them that I like and there are elements of them that I dislike. Um... And that's not, I didn't just become a Lib Dem because I'm like a wet centrist or whatever, which is what you think people, people call us. Mm. But it was, it was three main things, which was constitutional and political reform. I wanted a reform of the vote, a party that voted, that like, should I yes. say, like unapologetically PR. believes in PR and, yeah. um, and a fairer representation of that. Yeah. I believe in, um, in legalizing um, weed, um, cannabis. I think, Jeez. I think that is so important for society, frankly. Why do you think that's important? Um, because it's, a, it's about taking, you can see like the success that other countries have had with it. It's not a perfect policy in itself, but legalizing it or decriminalizing it at least is far better than having it criminalized. Um, if you can sell it and regulate it, it's less likely to be dangerous strengths or dangerous combinations. It's not going to be made by Vietnamese people who've been trafficked into the country to work on labor farms, like a recent article in the BBC outlined. Um, you're taking the, away from the criminal element. Um, you're giving people more control and also people with illnesses um, like multiple sclerosis. Some of them, people have been criminalized for getting cannabis to ease their um, symptoms. So, and also I think it's, if, if people, it, it, I, I do think it's less harmful than alcohol. I was going to say, if you if we, if we can drink alcohol, why can't you smoke weed? Yeah. So I just think just it's, an, it's just an illogical, illogical, illogical inconsistency in how we approach narcotics. Yeah. So that's one reason I, and you, you can tax it. Um, so yeah, um, let's see, constitutional and political reform, <laughs> drugs, um, drugs. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess economically, I've always kind of felt like I'm not a, a capitalist, I'm not a socialist, but I do believe in like a healthy balance. So economically, I'd say I'm centrist, but I believe in more sort of reforming and re revitalizing the political system yeah. and um, social policies like that. 
which kind of made me think, oh gosh, I guess I'm a Lib Dem. Yeah. No, that's the <laughs> way she says it. She's like, oh, oh I'm a Lib Dem. Oh, here we go. I'm a Lib Dem. <laughs> Might as well. I do love it, but it wasn't expected. <laughs> Um, last but not least, Queen, um, um, you're not a member, you're a supporter, yeah, no, but why do you support I, the Tories? I think it also, like everyone has um, said, um, it kind of just stems to my politics, really. Um, and they align more with the Conservative, just having the three to... The freedom, the freedom to think for myself, and I believe also in most circumstances, you know, minimal um, state involvement in our day to day lives. Um, but like Mel said as well, it's not that everything that the Conservative Party does um, that I agree with. Mm. There are things from other parties where I'm like, hmm, yeah, this is good, you know. Um, but yeah, that's mainly, it. and just also just like I said before, just having that freedom to think for myself with which party I wanted to align with and not just having um, people around me or members of Labour or whatever saying that you are not good enough to, you know, support the Conservative Party. Why are you supporting them? They're not for you. They just wanted to kind of, you know, to kind of constrain you into this kind of box, this small ideology of, you know, what these people are only for you. you can't think bigger, you can't want more for yourself. Um, And you still kind of get that today, um, you know, with people still kind of being like, well, they're not for you, but why are you making that, why are you making that decision for you? Because, you know, obviously the whole, you know, um, race thing, Mm -hmm. you know, you're black, you're, um, you're, you're, you're black, especially, that's probably like the main thing. Why are you voting for, you know, racist party, um, etc. So that's why a lot of people will be like, because I got that during the election, especially like. And how did that the make comments you feel? that I was getting mm. was horrific? Like, um, but I was you- getting DMs. I was getting like uh, all sorts, all sorts. Basically, just being like, you know, excuse my French, but like Tory dickhead, or you should die, you should this, you should that. Um, just because of how I believe, like my political beliefs and they were not in alignment to somebody else's. Um, Mm. They didn't really want me to think for myself or have my own opinions on something. They just wanted to kind of box me into some ideology that they believed in. And I have no problems or issues or qualms about that, but don't kind of enforce your opinions onto Mm. me. Um, Mm. I'm allowed to think for myself and have those opinions. Um, can I ask, Quinn, mm. um, do you feel a little bit like politically homeless in the sense that obviously you're not aligned to Labour, um, but as a black woman, in terms of seeing the direction of the Tory party at the moment, do you do you feel that there is some kind of conflict there in terms of obviously politically generally supporting conservative values, but also seeing in terms of like where they're going socially conservative at the moment, or, you know? Do you, do you feel a conflict there? Um, like I said, um, it's not everything that the Conservative Party does that I agree with. Um, you're going to get things from within that party and you're going to get things from outside of that party. So sometimes it can be a lot when you're getting... So uh, to answer your question, yeah, sometimes you do feel like that, mm-hmm. that you can feel a bit homeless in the sense of I'm not agreeing with everything here, but there's there's no other party that I would consider myself going to, Mm. um, towards, which is also a part of the reason why, um, 
I'm not a member of mm. the party. Um, but my views still are more aligned that way than mm. in any other direction. Mm. Um, but that's probably one of the reasons why I'm also a bit hesitant to join uh, mm. a political party until I feel ready to do so. Mm. It's mm. a commitment. Yeah. It really yeah. is. Mm. Not to put anyone off, but <laughs> no, <laughs> sometimes once commi- you get involved, yeah. all the, you get involved and it is, it can be overwhelming. It's like anything yeah. like, you know, like yeah. WhatsApp, like work, you just have to take a break sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you really do have to take a break. It can be stressful, <laughs> especially when it's, comes up to things like election, like internal yeah, elections yeah, and stuff. So yeah. it can really be. Mm. It's um, like being at university again or something, mm-hmm. just all the, all the really. same people. So um, I just want to quickly um, touch on um, what the opposition is. Um, obviously in parliament, um, we have the opposition and the opposition is usually the second largest, um, the second party with the largest majority, which in this case is the Labour Party. Um, and basically they kind of mirror what the government does. So they have like a shadow cabinet with um, shadow secretaries of state and shadow shadow junior <clears throat> ministers who um, have some, um, the same roles as the government. So you have like a shadow secretary, um, home, home secretary, and then the ministers that, um, so you might have um, the immigration minister, um, shadow immigration minister, et cetera. And they basically, um, when the minister... Um, is given a statement or during all questions, they will be the opposition doing the rebuttal and making their own statements or making their own comments. And um, yeah, so that's what the opposition is. Technically, anybody that's not um, in the government, any party that's not in government is is an opposition, Mm. but they don't have the they don't necessarily have the same speaking opportunities as the second largest mm-hmm. um, um, party. So, um, yeah, I kind of just wanted to touch up on what that was so people um, can know the difference. Um, so, guys, how can we engage with the government? What are the ways people can engage with the government? You know, we want to educate, we want to equip people to um, engage in, you know, the political machinery, like... What can we? How can they engage in, um, with the government? Well, one good way to do it is to get in touch with your MP with an issue, and if they're able to, say for instance, not solve it themselves, they can write directly to that particular minister on mm. on your behalf. Mm-hmm. So that's always yeah. a good way to try and drum up some interest, or you know, get someone to advocate on your behalf. Yeah, that's true. Also, if there's like a specific, if it's just like a specific bill or legislation that you know you 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 want to you know voice your concern over you can get in touch with that specific or particular department mm-hmm. um under which that legislation is responsible um mm-hmm. and again just lobby the minister for that department um and voice your concern or your um yeah or yeah it's always writing it's usually yeah. a lot of it's it's writing and getting in contact with the people that are in positions of power and I think another way we can do that is through consultations. Mm. Usually when there are big changes happening in, in terms of policy areas, um, mm. the government usually put out consultations for members of the public to um, submit, um, to submit either evidence or to submit their opinions. And basically the responses that the government gets, um, they usually take, take that into consideration before they make any big changes. Um, so I think that is very, very important. And you can always find it, it's not well advertised, if I'm honest with you. Mm. Mm. However, <laughs> however, you know, if I always tell people, if you're really passionate about a specific area, set up alerts 
of that um, area. So you can set up a look. If you're, if you're um, passionate about social justice or criminal justice, go to the justice website and set up alerts, you know, for those specific things. So if a consultation does come up, mm. you'll be able to... Um, um, you'll be able to see it. You it will like you get like an alert to your like an email to say, oh, this is happening, blah, 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 and um be able to provide your responses. Or if you want to, you could just literally go on the website, like the government website every week and just check mm. what's happening. And yeah, that's one way. Queen, do you have any other ways people can um, you can do petitions as well. Um yeah. If you create your own petition um, and it gets the required number of uh, vote, uh, signatories, so that's 10,000, then the government will automatically um, respond to whatever it is that um, petition is on. Um, if you then get 100,000, um, then they will debate that in the chamber. So that's a really good way to um, let your voice be heard on issues that are of importance to you because you're either going to get a government response or you're going to get a debate about that issue in parliament. Mm. Mm. And then another way you could also kind of engage your government if you if you have Twitter, Facebook, whatever, if, there's, if they're tweeting things out, you can kind of respond to um, those tweets I'm not sure if they actually respond back to you If I'm honest But that's another way Sometimes they just engage. block you Depends what you I don't know about the government departments If they block you But I think, oh. the, I think the actual shadow sex And the ministers themselves May block you But I don't know if it's Necessarily the departments mm. But um, yeah So that's another way You can do it And another way to I don't know if this is really engaging With the government But it's It's well, I don't know. I don't. I the go- I don't think the government will see this as engaging. But obviously, protests. <laughs> mm. You know, protest mm-hmm. is a good way mm-hmm. of making noise. Yep. And um, do it while it's still possible. Yeah, exactly. You know, so that's another way people can. Um, it wouldn't. It's not engaging. What would you? Go- I think it's engaging. But what what would you guys call that? You know, when I think it is engagement. It's yeah. like civil engagement, civil yeah. society, yeah. like all the ingredients that make it. You know. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, it is engagement. Don't listen to me. It is engagement. So yeah, also that's... another way that governments influence it is through lobbies mm. and lobbyists. Mm. Um, so you have like professional outfits of lobbyists who are you know who liaise specifically with government to influence policy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it can it can you can make a difference just on your own. Um, for instance, there was that girl Gina Martin who was upskirted at a oh, public yeah. event at a festival, mm. and she you know, beat the drum about how this actually was not on its own a specific offence. It was just like, like upskirting someone taking a photo of you, like in a, like, you know, up your skirt, if mm. you don't know, know what it means. Um, they, um, it wasn't a specific criminal offence in itself. So she went through one of our, the Lib Dem MPs, Vera Hobhouse, who put a private member's bill down, which normally is just a campaigning measure. It doesn't have mm. a chance of becoming law, but there's, um, a particular conservative MP who likes to shout object, um, Christopher <sighs> Chope. And because the bill was then objected to, it meant that it couldn't go any further, which caused outrage. So the government rightfully stepped in and said, we will actually take this legislation, we will take this legislation as ours mm. and guarantee that it can then become law. Mm. And that's how one person mm. through a series of, you know, <laughs> events yeah. was able to, to implement law change and make a real difference. Mm. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, I remember. She's, she, I think she kind of, she's written a good book called Be the Change or something. So Yeah, or also like Greta Thunberg. I mean, I know that she's one of many, many, many climate campaign, climate mm-hmm. ac- uh, climate activists. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she's like one person who's become sort of synonymous yeah. with, yeah. Um, yeah. with a part of the movement. Mm-hmm. And she's bringing up other people as well, which is great mm-hmm. to see. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're about to wrap up. Just to recap about how you can engage with the government. So you can engage with them through consultations, through lobbyists, through social media, through petitions, um, through um, protests, mm-hmm. um, through... Um, you know, contacting your local MP about a specific issue that you're um, passionate about and maybe ask them to put in a private member's bill. Um, And, you know, if it's a really good bill that all sides of the um, political spectrum agree with, the government may um, end up taking it. Um, And, um, yeah, so those are the ways that you can engage with government. Um, And also, you can also write to the government departments if you have questions about government policies, if a law um, is about to change, um, to ask why a law is going to change, um, and, you know, about any governmental um, run service services as well. Um, So, yeah, um, however, I would say sometimes because the departments are big and they're usually busy, um, as a member of the public, you t- it tends to take longer for you to get a response. Mm. So if mm. if that does happen, the next stage is to go through your MPs. MPs usually get a quicker response than members of the public. Um, so that's one thing that I would add. Um, so that's it for the Back to Basics um, episode two. Um, please follow us on our social media handles at the underscore consensus underscore both on Twitter and Instagram. And you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Acast. Thank you for listening. And I hope you have a lovely week. Bye. Bye, Bye guys. Thank Bye. you. Bye.